listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. You're already smiling at me. You know, I saw you smile, so it kind of like kicked off a smile for me. <laughs> it's contagious. It is contagious, kind of like the hiccups. Yeah, but better than the hiccups, I hope. <laughs> yeah, a lot better. So um, it's Memorial Day here in the U.S. We're recording on Memorial Day. Of course, our episode is not going to go live for a week later, but I've been doing my... I, what I've realized last night was that I think every Memorial Day I binge watch war movies um, and <laughs> and series. So I watched Band of Brothers yesterday. I watched the entire Civil War documentary by Ken Burns again. And I had a realization for the podcast and watching the Ken Burns documentary, which is all voiceovers. There's a lot of like famous voices. And you're like, I know that voice. Where Who's that? So let me name a few. Sam Watterson, uh, who is from Law and Order. He's the attorney, you know, the, the main DA uh, for many, many years on Law and Order. Um, we have Morgan Freeman, Shawshank Redemption. Great of course, is, that's like, I mean, is that really a, a, a documentary if you don't have Morgan Freeman voicing over or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just an amazing voice. And then Garrison Keillor. Who is that? On NPR, he does something called uh, A Prairie Home Companion. But he has like this sleepy Minnesota accent voice. And man, it's just, it's just such a good voiceover guy. And I guess what it made me realize is like every time I hear a recording of our show, I can't even listen to our show because once I start hearing my own voice, I'm like, eh, I don't sound like that, but I've been having that thought my entire life. So I guess I really do sound like that. Yeah. I don't know anybody who likes the sound of their own voice. I mean, let's be honest, you and I are not going to be doing any voiceover work in the, in the <laughs> near future. Most likely. Um, it's funny when I go to edit the show every week, I don't even really hear the voices. I it's, which is probably a good thing not to hear voices, uh, but <laughs> I see the voices because I'm looking at the waveforms and, you know, trying to make sure that we kind of put out content that isn't distracting or irritating to listen to, uh, just regardless of our voice <laughs> themselves. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we've been doing this almost three years and we're coming up on our thir- three year birthday and still it's just, it just the grating sound this of this froggy voice. Uh, is not pleasant, but here we well, are still. It's not Inflicting like pain upon everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's not like working out where eventually your body adapts and your muscles get stronger and you know you get better. The yeah, more you talk, you, your voice doesn't get better by talking more, does it? No. So that's why we have microphones and EQ and all kinds of tricks to try and make us sound better. I try to leave it re- actually relatively normal and a balanced sort of sound profile for us, so that. If you ever meet us in real life, you're like, oh my gosh, that guy sounds like nothing like he sounds like on the podcast. Um, so I try to keep it relatively neutral. It is what it is. Have we gotten better at this? I like to think so, but uh, that's mostly just, you know, having done now 149 of these over almost three years, which is pretty crazy. Well, I think at least the conversation has gotten better. And we are going to talk IAM today. And the person who we have on as our guest, which I know you'll introduce in a minute, mentioned that he has a previous life as a sound engineer. So I'd be interested in any kind of like 
horror stories or any kind of perspectives of anything we just talked about there because you know i didn't think about you kind of listening to the episode and waveforms and i know there are visualizations of sound right so i wonder if that's normal or if you're just total looney tune (laughs) it's probably a little bit of both um yeah why don't we get into it um so before we get into that real quick this is airing on monday uh, what is it? June 6th, which means that RSA, I believe, has kicked off at this point. Theoretically, I will be in San Francisco when people are listening to this uh, at RSA, roaming the uh, vendor hall. So if folks want to fist bump or, you know, meet up or do whatever, just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to uh, swing by a booth or find a kind of a, a central spot that maybe, uh, you know, we can uh, have a quick conversation. So I'm totally cool with that. So feel free to reach out. Uh, but why don't we pivot because we're actually not going to talk about RSA on this episode. We're going to talk about another upcoming conference, uh, and that's going to be around Identiverse. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about ID Pro, uh, the identity uh, organization that I belong to, our guest belongs to. I think, Jim, you now officially might belong to as well or about to be. I put in my application, but they haven't run my card yet. So I would say officially I'm not, <laughs> but I put in that effort. It's not official until they take your money, as is with most things. So That's um, right. we can get into it. So why don't we go ahead and introduce our guest? Uh, he's joining us all the way from the United Kingdom, which is very cool. Uh, his name is Andy Hindle. He's a chair of ID Pro, and he's also the content chair of Identiverse. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. And if you're doing the sound right, I should sound like I'm a very long way away. <laughs> it's like a two uh was it two uh like string a string with two cans on the end right that's, that's exactly it yep exactly that i don't know if you guys saw uh do you guys follow the xkcd um cartoons yep. online right yeah so there was a good one with voyager just the other day and the and the strings like the wires connecting us to voyager and they were spooling out and yeah so like that it's 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 it, it, it's just this one long string and I imagine there's like a fishing rod at the other end. And uh, yeah. Um, so, and I got to note this as well. You've got a very cool microphone set up, a very unique microphone that I have not actually heard of. And we were kind of nerding out a little bit before uh, we hit record here. It's a microphone by Aston. Is that what it was? That is correct. Yeah, they're a British company. They crowdsource, or at least most of their mic designs are done by a, a, a sort of panel of professional audio engineers. This particular one was crowdsourced. Um, so they did, I don't know, they had probably two or 3,000 folks that they just collected variously online. I happened to be one of them uh, for no particular reason other than I was interested. But um, yeah, and so we had audio samples to listen to and comment on, and they refined the design on that basis. And here it is. It's got a little magnetic pop shield, and apparently it works quite well. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is an audio podcast. So people can't see it, but I'll try to describe it. Let's just, just picture in your mind what you would expect like a radio broadcaster to, to have in like his setup. He looks, he's a real pro's pro. Let me just put it that way. He's got the, the head, headphones on. He's got the pop filter. He's got the cool microphone. Looks like it's on maybe some sort of boom arm that's kind of hanging over just right. Well done. I'm just going to give you the, the chef's kiss emoji and uh, we'll leave it at that. So why well, don't we get you. into a little bit about your identity background, Andy, because you know, this is one of the things that we like to do when we have someone on for the first time <clears throat> and talk through sort of how did you get into this, you know, wonderful world of identity and access management, maybe. Um, is it something that, that you chose or did it choose you? 
Yeah, so I think in common with a lot of folks, I I fell into it almost by accident, right? So, um, I mean, Jim alluded to this earlier on. Way, way back, uh, I was involved in some sound design and some lighting design semi-professionally through university and a little bit after. Um, Japanese was actually my major at university. Uh, and again, in common with a lot of folks, a lot of my friends in the identity space, you know, not a traditional technical background in that sense. Um, but I ended up working for a software company um, initially doing, you know, kind of web design and then fell into a pre-sales technical role with a startup, um, North American software startup. I was fourth employee, I think. Yeah, fourth employee in Europe. Um, did that for a while. We got acquired by, he says, thinking hard because it was a long time ago, Macromedia. Uh, Macromedia and I carried on doing, you know, some field product management, product marketing. Uh, Macromedia then got acquired by Adobe uh, and I stuck it out in Adobe for a couple of years. And then an old colleague of mine reached out um, to say that he'd landed at Ping Identity and uh, would I be interested in coming and helping them figure out how to set up a, a European operation. So this was back when Ping was, uh, see, I'm going to get this wrong. And then the folks who were actually there are going to, you know, remember and they'll listen to the podcast and they'll phone me up and they'll be like, you got it wrong. So it was either about 50 people or about a hundred people, but I feel like it was about 50 people when I joined. Um, I was the first employee outside of North America at that time. And so again, with a mixed kind of technical and business background, it was essentially go, go figure out, you know, what we do in Europe, um, which was kind of fun. So I did that for about three years, uh, replicated that process for, uh, Asia Pacific and then finished up doing some technical marketing and some channel development for them. Um, so that was, you know, that, that was my, uh, falling into identity. Um, and, uh, as with many people, once you fall in, it's kind of, it's not so much that it's hard to leave. It's just, you don't really want to. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. that's a really cool background. I, I got a quick follow-up question because actually a few here. So you mentioned you studied Japanese and I'm just curious as kind of an off the cusp question is. What are some of the challenges that you see working with, uh, you know, predominantly, I guess, you know, English interfaces and then having to, to convert that to something on the Japanese side? Does it, is there a lot of work to kind of make that conversion done or does it, is it simpler than what I'm thinking? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, we absolutely used to run into, um, challenges with that, right? So. I mean, this is going back a ways, but before, before Unicode was really consistent, UTF-8, UTF-16, all of those challenges, right? We're past that now, which is good. And for the most part, um, you know, if you look at UX design across, and I'm not being specific about Japanese here, Japanese is actually one of the easier ones to deal with in some ways. Um, but there are languages that are, that are more complex to deal with from a UX standpoint. Um, but most of those issues have kind of gone away. So really what you come down to is actually a cultural issue. Um, and again, this is not specific to Japan at all. It's simply that the way that people approach applications is different based on their cultural background. And we even see this within countries, right? So you look at particular populations within a nation state for the sake of argument, um, I don't know, an elderly population or uh, a, a digitally disenfranchised population or whatever, and or kids, right? I mean, children are a great example of this. The way that they approach 
working with, uh, interacting with an application is fundamentally different. And so those challenges you get, but, but with cultural nuance, right? Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting problem. Um, and you know, at the risk of diving headfirst into the identity thing, it's absolutely a problem in the identity space because for one thing, an awful lot of folks in the sector evidently are, are based in English speaking countries, obviously not everybody. Right. But as we start to look at taking some of the technologies out, um, to other places, we run into things that we've just never thought of. Right. So I know in the, in the EKYC working group, for example, all sorts of questions about simple things like what does a phone number look like? And it isn't the same number of digits everywhere. And some places don't worry about area codes and some places absolutely need to have, you know, the international code properly formatted, like ITU formatted, which is plus four, four. And you do that for the UK or plus one for the U S and then, you know, you do that in some interfaces and it's fine. And in others it isn't. And a standard of course has to account for those things. Um, and that's a simple example, right? I mean, you start to get into things like passport numbers and stuff and it gets, it gets squirrely quickly. So. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I got my first kind of exposure on the international side very long time ago when I was trying to design knowledge-based authentication questions. And, you know, it was probably very early on in my career and kind of writing out some of those things. And someone looked at this and says, okay, well, you know, I think it was, I think it was in India that we were kind of doing some translation. It's mm -hmm. like, this doesn't exist in India. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap, you're right. <laughs> you need to figure out like what are alternatives for that. Um, so I just, I just wanted to kind of pick that out cause I thought it was really interesting. Um, so right now you are a chair at ID pro. You're also a content chair at Identiverse. So I got to ask one, how many chairs do you have? And then two, what does a chair actually do? Uh, yeah. So, um, there's a really facetious answer here, which I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna avoid saying it, but, um, yeah, so. Um, chair is an interesting thing. Um, what it really is, at least in the context of ID pro is it's chair of the board. And so the job of the chair of the board essentially is to run the board and it's, it's actually widely misunderstood. Um, and, and not just in the context of ID pro, right? Like widely misunderstood. People have this impression that the chair is actually the person that, that runs the organization. Uh, and normally you'll find that that's either a president or a CEO or an ED or some title like that. Right. Um, the job of the chair is, is effectively to, to run, to operate the board. Um, and so that's what I do currently at ID pro. I've been in that role, um, for a little under a year and due to the way the bylaws work, um, I will actually step down from doing that officially or should do in June. Uh, and then I've got another year, um, to, to run out on the board just generically before I step down. Um, cause I'll, I'll term out and again. We have those rules in place just, you know, from a good governance perspective, right? Um, now much, much similar actually in the case of Identiverse, um, you know, the fundamental role that, that I was asked to do, um, when Andre asked me to do this, so Andre's the CEO and, and, um, founder of Ping Identity, uh, and also started up Identiverse originally, uh, when it was called Cloud Identity Summit, right? Um, and so what he asked me to do essentially was, was to look after, um, manage, curate, whatever word you want to use, uh, the agenda, the content, um, the, the topical direction for the event, um, you know, through the year. 
and so I have the joy of being able to pull together uh, a group of subject matter experts, both within the identity, identity industry and also from outside of the identity industry. Um, so adjacent industries, cybersecurity, uh, privacy in particular. Um, and that group of people uh, call it the advisory board or the content committee or, you know, whatever, um, is the group that I sort of look after and, and um, help to get to a point where we have an agenda that's, that's valuable for people, right? And so the process there essentially is we run an open public call for presentations. Um, those come in, we always get way more than we can possibly accommodate. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of wonderful to be able to go through those and then, you know, find things that are really topical, really well put together, stitch them together into, you know, into an agenda. And then the process we're just getting into now, which is, um, the, the content review process, right? So every single presentation comes through the content committee. Um, and we go through not an editorial process so much as just a, a process to help make sure that presenters get the most out of the event. Um, you know, is the deck the right length? Um, people often think they can get through more content than they really can, right? Um, is it is it pleasing? Is it avoiding anything that might come across as a product pitch? Those sorts of things. So that's that's essentially the the role that I that I play is is looking after that that group of people. That's great, Andy. Um, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on as soon as we wanted to have you on, right? So this episode is going to go live on June 6th is that Identiverse is taking place June 21st through 24th. It's in Denver, which Denver's not typically the place I think of when I think of large conferences. Usually it's like, well, in our industry, it's been San Francisco or Las Vegas or maybe Orlando uh, or Seattle. Uh, but obviously Identiverse is in Denver, um, which I'm excited because I'm planning on attending to, to visit, uh, Denver. I haven't been there in a while. Um, one of the big pieces of news on the conference is that, uh, it's changed hands, changed ownership from ping to a group called the cyber risk Alliance, uh, which can be found at cyberriskalliance.com. Uh, but I'm, kind of wondering from your perspective uh what should people expect to to come about um as a result of this ownership change yeah that that's a really good question jim and I, i'm delighted uh hopefully that you will be there so we'll get to to properly meet in person i'm excited about that um so yeah uh, essentially coming out of the end of last year um we obviously ran the the conference last year as a hybrid event and the year before we ran it as a virtual event um and i think there was an opportunity for ping um who as noted um you know andre founded the event and it's always been run as an industry conference um but but by ping identity um and they realized that there was an opportunity to have somebody else take it on and really invest in it and grow, allow it to grow in a way that, you know, would be of, of fundamental benefit to the industry over time. Um, so that deal closed in December. Um, and just to be clear, I don't actually, I, uh, although I used to a long time ago work for Ping, I left uh, Ping Identity at the end of 2013. And so 
and I took on the role uh, for Identiverse in 2015. So I actually have done that as an external consultant, not as a full-time employee. Uh, and that holds true, right? So I, I, there are some things that I know a little bit about what CRA does, like Risk Alliance does. Um, but uh, I don't, you know, I'm not inside, as it were, from, from that perspective. Um, but really, this is about how do we how do we extend what we do at Identiverse partly to make sure that everyone that's, that's in the identity industry, kind of the, the, you know, the identity professional, um, is able to get there, is able to attend, knows about it, is getting material there, conversations there, networking there that's relevant to them. Um, and then beyond that, there are the, the, the obvious adjacent industries, right? So the edge of cybersecurity that sort of bleeds into identity and the edge of privacy that bleeds into identity. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in doing longer term is starting to get some of the business people along, right? The decision makers, chief digital officer, you know, those folks, because ultimately it's their projects that many of the identity systems and solutions that get put in place are, are driving, right? I mean, it's kind of the key enabler for a lot of this stuff. Uh, and they don't realize it. So I'd love to start to get those folks along over time. That's going to take a while and it's going to take thinking a little bit differently about the event. So back to your question, um, what people should expect if they've come before is exactly the same thing like we've always done it, right? There's no fundamental change to the values, the ethos of the event, the way that we put the content together, the quality that none of that stuff is fundamentally going to change. There will be changes, right? As there always have been. So for folks that have been coming for years and years and years and remember being, you know, a hundred people around a fire pit in Keystone or Vale or whatever. Yeah, that's changed over time. Um, but hopefully it's been good change. It's been positive change. And we haven't lost that, you know, that, that core essence of, of what Identiverse is. Um, there will be some things that are a little bit different, uh, only because we haven't done this for a couple of years, right? So <laughs> frankly, we're all remembering how to do in-person events again. Um, I was actually just uh, a couple of weeks ago at the European Identity Conference in Berlin. I thought Cupping a Cold did a great job. Um, but it was weird, right? As, as suddenly being in this place with a whole bunch of people who, many of whom I hadn't seen physically for two or three years. And it was delightful to, you know, to, to be in, in, in conversation with them properly. And we got a lot of work done, but, um, it, there's definitely a certain amount of, okay, wait, how does this work? Yeah, um, right. and that I, I fist to, bump or shake hands yeah. or hug or there's that whole there's a negotiation protocol before you start. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, I think a lot of what people are used to will still happen for those people that haven't come before. Um, you know, the focus of the event is really two things. It's the conference of which, you know, there's a good solid four days of material. Go and check out the agenda online. You know, that's the best way to get a feel for what there is, frankly. Um, but we, we try and have a reasonably broad topical coverage, right? Ranging from real world deployment stuff, um, vision, strategy, longer term things, right the way down to, you know, in-depth protocol level, like, you know, how does WebAuthn work, for example. Um, we try and cover all of that as best we can. Um, one of the comments we get every year is people look at you generally, I, I can't choose what to go to. 
so the good news there is we're also not changing the fact that we record video every single session. There's always one or two where people have got, you know, things they're going to announce or say or whatever that, that we can't publish afterwards. Fine. But the bulk of it is recorded. It's made available in the video archive afterwards. Um, and we've done that for years and we intend to certainly for this year, keep doing that. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it is, is the being able to sit in a room and talk to not just peers or colleagues or friends in the industry that you've known for a while, but also new people, right? Um, I mean, I've made a number of really important professional connections and frankly moved some big projects forward, um, just by virtue of being in the same place with people who I wouldn't otherwise have met. Um, and that's as, as useful for, you know, someone who's, let's say a seasoned professional who's been doing digital identity for 25 plus years. It's as useful for those folks as it is for someone who's just getting started in their career. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of opportunities in and around the conference for people to, you know, walk up to folks that they don't know or they've heard on a podcast or whatever it might be, right? Uh, and, and have a conversation and get to know them and, and solve problems and learn things and, and all of that stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, as someone who's going to Identiverse for the first time, I'm wondering what to expect in terms of the networking aspect. To me, that's the, that's the thing we've been missing out on so much over the last couple of years is that in-person ability to start making connections with people. Maybe they spin off into lasting friendships. Uh, hopefully they at least spin off into interesting conversations. When I look at the folks who are going to be speaking uh, in different sessions at the conference, I know the quality of the content is going to be good. Uh, when I see messages coming in from folks that I've worked with, either clients or past coworkers, um, I know that the attendee base is going to be a lot of folks who are, you know, who have been in this industry for a long time. And so I guess my question to you is kind of what to expect, how to kind of navigate the, the social aspect. And then for an Identiverse newbie like myself, do you have any specific recommendations? Yeah. Um, so you, <laughs> I paused briefly, and the reason I paused briefly is I was thinking that there's a thing that we actually wanted to do, uh, we planned to do in 2020. We obviously went virtual that year, so couldn't do it. Last year was complex and hybrid and strange, and this year we're, you know, sort of getting used to a, a, a new operating model and, and relearning how to do this thing. One of the things we'd wanted to do, and your question reminded me of it, is I really wanted to do a newcomer to Identiverse, you know, breakfast on day one and bring in a bunch of the folks who have been coming for years and sit them in a room with a bunch of folks who'd never been before and do, you know, five minutes of, okay, just to orient you in the conference, this is kind of how things flow. And then spend the rest of the time enjoying breakfast and talking with folks who've, who've been in a, you know, maybe some of the folks on the content committee and some of our regular presenters and some of the folks that have been coming for years. Right. Um, and 
and so my, I, I'm a little frustrated because I would love to be able to say, yeah, and we're doing that this year and we're not, but uh, we should. So uh, I've made a mental note that we, we really need to try and do that. Um, with that said, I think um, there's a couple of things. One is, yeah, there are lots of social activities happening around the conference. Some of them are organized by the conference. So the welcome reception on the first evening, for example, the founders party towards the end, for example. Um, there's stuff going on in the mornings as well, right? Um, mostly more physical stuff, but there's a, we've done a boot camp there for years and years. Same two guys. Uh, they're really good. If you're into that kind of thing, it's a lot of fun. It's hard work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, they've added, I think a yoga thing in the mornings as well. So there's, there's lots of that happening, lots of snack tables and, and, you know, lunch meetings and, and all those sorts of opportunities exist. And that's just the stuff that's on site, right? So undoubtedly a number of the sponsors and, and other vendors that are in around the event um, will be, you know, doing things. I don't necessarily know what those are, but they're bound to be happening. And I think the recommendation that I'd make there is, uh, frankly, is just go and engage in those things. Now, that's a really easy thing to say. And if you are, you know, if you're coming at this, maybe you're a couple of years into your career, um, maybe you're just naturally a little bit more introverted. And I'll be honest. I am, and I know that sounds a little strange, but I am, and it can be a little bit daunting, right? You, you walk in, there's a bunch of people, many of whom have known each other for a long time. And it's like, how do I break into that conversation? Nine times out of 10, the answer is just go ask somebody a question, right? So find a session that's interesting, grab the speaker afterwards. Don't be offended if they haven't got time right at that minute, because they might be running to another session, but. Yeah, almost everybody. I mean, I'm not going to say everybody because there are always exceptions that prove the rule, right? But this is by and large an extremely welcoming, friendly, helpful industry. And for the most part, if you get engaged, uh, you know, people are going are, are gonna to want to have a conversation with you. So that would be, I think, my recommendation. As far as things not to miss, um, so I, you know, I, I'd be foolish if I didn't say you should go to the keynotes. That's why they're keynotes. Uh, so please go to those. Um, beyond that, I would, I would say, um, you know, take a look at the agenda. The way that we structure it is that we have, rather than tracks, we have topic areas. Uh, we've got seven of those ranging, like I said earlier, from, you know, things like real world deployment stories right the way through to, you know, vision, strategy, privacy. Uh, we've got some stuff this year on identity verification specifically. So have a look at the topic areas and, you know, pick a couple that you think are particularly relevant or interesting to you. Um, and then just pick a handful of sessions that, that, you know, seem like that, that speaks to me, right? The title is, is interesting or the speaker is maybe somebody that I've seen before or heard before. Um, that's usually a pretty good way to start, um, at least, you know, sort of piecing things together. The other thing to have in mind is if you are in a space where you're deploying these technologies, right? So you work in an enterprise or in a, a consulting firm and you're, you're in the business of actually, you know, building, deploying identity solutions, um, absolutely worth spending time on the, on the show floor, right? Lots of vendors doing interesting things. But the other thing is we have a very small, very small amount of sponsored material uh, in the main agenda. And the reason I mentioned that is particularly if you're in the, the kind of real world practitioner space, um, 
some of the masterclasses that those sponsors do are incredibly valuable because they tend to focus very much on the sort of what's and all, this is how it actually works uh, kind of thing, rather than let me show you a pretty can demo and you know you can imagine that everything is roses and beautiful, right? Because we all know that the real world doesn't look like that. Uh, what it looks like is messy and uh, you know how do I get this thing to work and I'm up against the deadline, right? So um, that if if you're in that area, that might be an interesting place to look to. There were a couple of sessions that jumped out at me as I was looking at the agenda. And I have to tell you, I'm very disappointed I won't be able to make it this year. I had to make the call uh, this past Friday, so just a couple of days ago. Um, I'm in the process of moving and purchasing a new house, and it's just everything's happening at the same time. So I'm not going to be able to make it this year. But uh, I'm hopeful to catch some of the stuff uh, online kind of post-conference. Uh, but Identity in the metaverse, I think is interesting because I feel like that's such a buzzy word right now. I'm, you know, I feel like you can probably gamify some of these sessions and have some sort of like bingo card, metaverse, web three, decentralized blockchain, you know, and see, you know, and, and give some sort of like award if you, if you're able to make bingo on one of those. Um, and I will absolutely echo Andy, what you said about, um, really just the quality of people that are attending these events and the total openness to just meeting new people and introducing yourself and really kind of getting into the conversation. Um, I feel like this is one of the areas that identity as a whole is very good at as a profession itself is people will, you know, are totally cool with you walk up and say, like, Hey, Andy, I'm Jeff, blah, 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 or Hey, Vittorio or Hey, Heather or Hey, Ian, right? They might be up on the stage, but they're normal, real people too. <laughs> and, you know, they're more than happy to, you know, to, to have a conversation. Like I said, sometimes maybe the, the timing isn't so great if you're kind of going back and forth, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those folks too. It's like, I, I love to meet new people and just kind of hear, you know, the stories out there. I would totally, um, you know, get into that, um, uh, you know, with folks, but, uh, um, that is something I will definitely echo. Um, Jim, I know you've been kind of looking over the agenda and is there something specific that you're looking at is like, oh, that looks interesting. I mean, to your point, like everything looks interesting. So I don't want to, I don't want to leave, you know, ignore all those, but there's one called AWS masterclass. And it's like, I've been racking my brain and watching a ton of YouTube videos on how to manage IAM at AWS, not just AWS, but cloud infrastructure in general, because I don't think there's just a product. You know, just buy this product and you solve the issue. So to me, it's like anywhere that I could drink out of that fire hose and get information and continue to kind of build that basis for how do we manage identities in the cloud and what kind of framework and what kind of approach do we need? Because I feel like it's pretty well solved in the traditional human context within the enterprise. I think as you get to the customer, it's less solved, but probably even more evolved than where we are with the cloud infrastructure side. So that's the one that really popped out at me. And there's not a lot of info on it yet, but I'm expecting it's going to be a great session. Yeah, those masterclass sessions are pretty cool. I'm excited for you, Jim, if, uh, you know, when you make it out there being kind of the first timer, um, it's a great conference. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think pound for pound is the best identity conference that I've been to. Uh, I say that with that caveat because I have not been to EIC yet uh, to make it across uh, to the Cooper Cole one. But um, as far as the U.S. goes, I definitely think it's the best identity conference going. I'm excited to see where Cyber Risk Alliance takes this. And, 
and, and see how it can continue to evolve to be that, you know, that one stop, like if you're going to a conference this year for identity, this is the one you should go to. Um, I'm a fan of it. We'll continue to be a fan of it. And hopefully next year will work out better for me for a timing perspective to actually attend. Um, I want to pivot the conversation, Andy, over to the work that's being done with ID Pro. So this is an organization that really, I guess, kind of treats Identiverse as its home conference. Uh, I'm not sure if it actually started Identiverse. I believe it was like in 2016 or maybe it was 2017 where it was kind of first announced. And I remember kind of like, that's cool. Like sign me up, right? Becoming like a founding member. But for those who are not familiar with ID Pro, what is ID Pro? How do you, how do you tell somebody uh, you know, what it is that this organization is trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, so I, just to pick up one last thing that you said, I'll, I'll forgive you, Jeff, buying a new house and moving is a reasonable excuse to not be at Identiverse. So, so that's and okay. starting a new job because, <laughs> you know, that wasn't hard enough. Let's all do it at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that, um, yeah. So, uh, you're right. ID pro we launched officially, at. Uh, I want to say Cloud Identity Summit 2017, Chicago. Yes. Um, so ID Pro, if you go look at the website, it will tell you is the digital, sorry, the Association for Digital Identity Professionals, right? And in essence, a good way to think about this is if you're a privacy professional, you kind of have a professional association looks after you. You have a home and that home for most people in most parts of the world is the IAPP. Other organizations exist, right? But that's the one that most people would associate most naturally with a privacy profession. And they they do a whole bunch of things, right? So they provide lots of peer-to-peer -peer learning opportunities. They provide networking opportunities. They uh, help to advocate a little bit for the industry uh, as a whole. And most importantly, they have a uh, certification program for privacy professionals that allows you both to gain knowledge, but also, and probably most importantly, to demonstrate that knowledge to prospective employers. And therefore it allows an employer to look at somebody and say, well, okay, they've got the background, they've got the job history, they've got the experience that I'm looking for, and they've backed it up by having done this, you know, professional sort of, you know, proof of learning, right? Uh, it's not quite proof of possession, but it's close. Um, so. Likewise, if you're in cybersecurity, you know, chances are you probably hold a CISSP or a CSM or something similar. Um, and so a few years ago, uh, Ian Glazer started this off, right? Um, and several other folks kind of came along with him, recognizing that there was no such home for the digital identity professional. And whilst, yeah, there's some overlap in the CISSP from a technical knowledge standpoint, there's some overlap uh, in, you know, some of the IPP certifications from a privacy perspective, there isn't anything that's directly dedicated to all of the things that we need to know to be good digital identity professionals. Now, that's problematic for the industry from an individual standpoint, right? How do I grow my career? How do I develop my career? How do I get help? Uh, yeah, all of those things. It's also problematic for employers. And as digital identity organizations grow and become more standalone, more important in the overall landscape of you know, the, the tech industry writ large, um, that gets hard for an employer, right? So I can look at a resume or a CV and I can say, yeah, this, is, th this looks fine, but how do I know that you can actually do these things in a reasonable way? 
So ID Pro was essentially set up to provide that home. Um, and uh, you're right, there is a relationship between ID Pro and Identiverse uh, in the sense that ID Pro was uh, launched at the conference and very evidently it's, you know, it's the home conference for ID Pro, uh, but it isn't ID Pro's conference, right? Um, and we started out essentially with, okay, the biggest problem we have is there's some lightweight networking things that we could do just to help people have other mechanisms to, to talk to others, talk to peers in the industry. Um, there are some lightweight things we could do in terms of getting some, some news, some information out to people, but two biggest things. One is there's no single written down source of independent, i.e. non-vendor knowledge about how all of this stuff works. Um, and so we started putting together a body of knowledge. Uh, one of the first things that we did pretty early on is we hired uh, a principal editor uh, by the name of Heather Flanagan. She's done this similarly in, in other places, very well known. Um, and she's put together a very robust, you know, peer review process to get those articles for the body of knowledge written by folks in the industry, um, you know, properly edited, approved out with a comment feedback mechanism, um, and then a review cycle on an annual basis to make sure that they stay current. That is a work in progress. It's not like it's all done. Uh, it will probably never be done because the industry keeps changing, which is both awesome and deeply annoying. Um, but it's a start, right? And there's quite a lot of useful material there already. Uh, and people, you know, routinely get in touch, although we'd love to, to hear from more folks, right, who have knowledge and, and who are interested in, in writing something up and, and getting it, you know, into that, that general body of, of, of knowledge. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, okay, what do we do about a certification program? And so, uh, last year we were able to launch at Identiverse, we announced it. And then the, the, the first kind of available exam came out in, I want to say September, uh, the CID pro or SID pro, which is the first, as far as we're aware, uh, independent non-vendor nonprofit, um, certification for digital identity professionals. Now it's specifically aimed at what you'd call the, the, the two to three year pro, right? So they've been in, you know, maybe came out of college, uh, came out of university, went into a job, you know, looking after identity somewhere in some enterprise. They've been doing that for a couple of years. They've got some knowledge. Uh, let's demonstrate that they have that knowledge, right? So it's broad, deliberately broad, not super, super deep, but it does have, you know, some, some areas in the swimming pool that are a little deeper than others. Right. Um, but that's what that's aimed at. Um, and we just, you know, we, we kind of did it, I suppose the right way in the sense that we worked with a third party, um, a psychometrist to help make sure that we had proper questions that were fair, well-structured testing, different types of knowledge, different cognitive levels. Uh, I know more about like how exams work now than I ever did before. It was actually kind of a cool process. Um, and a whole bunch of folks in the industry, both, you know, ID pro members and not, uh, helped with, with question writing. Um, so we released a first form of the exam last year. We just released a second form. 
that's kind of invisible to the end user in the sense that you take it, you get questions. Those questions just come from different banks of questions to make sure that it's, it's fair and varied and different every time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's ID pro. That was a really long answer to a simple question. I'm sorry, Jeff. Well, there's so much to cover with it. And I think it, it is, it's an organization obviously that I, that I support, um, you mentioned CID pro certification. Uh, my, my claim to fame is I have, I think one question in that bank of ever growing questions. So what might've started off is, you know, there's maybe a, a 10% chance you might get my question is probably dwindled to maybe like 1% probably at this point. Um, nonetheless, Jeff, you have our undying appreciation. I know how hard <laughs> it is to write those questions. So. Yeah, having sat for those meetings was interesting, and I and I feel like there's a little bit of an NDA in place, so I can't really kind of talk too much about it. But it was certainly eye-opening, and there was actually lessons that I took from the whole question writing process to start thinking about how would that apply in the identity world, running a program, accessibility, um, you know, readability, understanding of things. These are all things that an identity program needs to have part of their strategy, right? Uh, and this is why I kind of led off the question too, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, the, the, the studying of, I think it was Japanese and we kind of first started is those cultural differences. And what does that mean? Um, I think sometimes we get stuck in our own kind of, uh, bubble of, you know, where we live, our experiences, but the world is changing. And now we have this global, you know, thread that called identity that really kind of connects us all. So I think it's super interesting and. I'm glad to hear there's a version two. I will tell you, I don't, I don't think that the, the test is easy by any, by any stretch. I think a couple of years is definitely good. I know that there's some people who kind of look at it and they're in the, in the, uh, in the business of collecting certifications. <laughs> uh, so I think this is something that actually does a good job of actually validating. Does this person know what they're talking about when you want to have an identity conversation around things? So I'm excited to see how this soul testing. Uh, and certification process sort of evolves over time and continues to, uh, you know, keep pace with the industry itself. Uh, you yeah. know, when will we see our first passwordless question, for example, or metaverse or web three or blockchain or whatever, <laughs> you know, it may be, uh, as those things sort of rise into relevance for our, for our space. So you said blockchain now twice and on neither yeah, occasion you had a drink, Jeff. So there's clearly uh, something yeah. wrong. <laughs> it's because I was looking at that metaverse, uh, agenda op, uh, item for, for, uh, for identiverse. So yeah. that's what I'll blame it on. Um, Andy, you've been super generous with your time. So I want to start to kind of wrap things up. Um, when we have folks on the show, we always like to end on a lighter note and we were kind of talking about this kind of briefly before we started, I, what I usually do is come up with a few different questions and let our guests choose. Um, and the one that was chosen, which I think is going to be kind of funny because I think you and I have very similar, um, answers probably to this. And here's the question for you, Andy, we'll go with you and then we'll go to Jim. What is the best restaurant in the town you live in? So what this means just for clarification is. The restaurant has to be located within the boundaries of the city, town, village, tribe, whatever word you want to use to describe, you know, where you live. Um, and it, I'm curious to hear what that is for you. So I live in a relatively small town, uh, in the kind of South of England. Uh, it's an interesting town because, uh, and, and the reason I'm going to tell this little story is because you said boundaries. Um, so the thing that's interesting about this particular town 
is that it's been here for a really long time. And when I say that, what I mean is that the town charter, so when it was officially named a town and was allowed to have a market, which it still has, uh, is dated 1155. Looking out of the window uh, of the room that I'm in, I can see a ditch and a, an earthen bank. And that is the original boundary of the Saxon town that predates all of that. So I'm just now worried because the place that I chose is technically outside of the Saxon boundary, and I don't know if that counts. <laughs> Are we about to start like a land war? Because uh, I feel like that's 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 part of the history as well, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a there's a ruined castle not far away from here that was involved in the civil war. But anyway, moving on. Um, so yeah, you're right. You know, I live in a relatively small town, not a lot of choice here, uh, but there's a, a little Italian place that we sometimes go to called Avanti, uh, which is run by a couple of Italian guys. Uh, they do really good food. It's tiny. Uh, and you know, it's, it's very Italian. If you've ever been to Italy to those little kind of, um, you know, corner restaurants, family owned place, it's, it's like that. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that would be my pick for where I live. So Italian, I, I feel like that's, those are like sometimes the best places to go to the small little places nobody knows about, but they're authentic. They're good. You know, they'll never be Michelin rated, but they don't need to be <laughs> right. They're yeah. just a classic in its own right. Good choice. Jim, how about yourself? That's right. I, I mean, you know, it depends on the day of the week that you ask the question, uh, because I love Italian food and. Once that was mentioned, I was like, oh, maybe I should change my answer to my favorite Italian restaurant. But I'm going to stick with what I came up with originally. And based on Andy, you know, mentioning his major in, in college being Japanese, it, of course, brought my mind to sushi and my favorite sushi buffet. All you can eat sushi. And inflation really hasn't hit us, hit this restaurant too hard yet. I mean, it's still, I think it's $22 for an adult. For dinner and they have sushi sashimi you know all the you know different delicacies that you could want uh it's called a zumi and i'm wondering from andy does that translate to something i-z-u-m-i yeah it does but you see now you're exposing the fact that it's a long time ago that i was at university and japanese i haven't used very much in fact one of the last trips that i did before travel stopped in 2020 was out to japan uh and i got to give a i was very kindly invited to give a presentation at the open id foundation japan conference uh which <clears throat> i did deliver in Japanese, but it took an awful lot of help from my friends over there to get it done. So um, I think, I feel like it might mean Pearl, but I'm going to go and check in the background and, and go and look it up and then we'll see whilst I'm sure Jeff has an answer to this question as well. So. I'm sure they appreciated you, you know, giving your effort so much on that. I'm wondering, um, Andy, is there any way for the Identity at the Center podcast to tap in to the Japanese IAM practitioner market without, you know, simulcasting in Japanese? I mean, is it is there any way to pick up steam? That's a that's actually a really interesting question. I'd love to pick that up, you know, as a as a separate conversation. Like, I'm sure there's a way, and and we know lots of folks out there, right? I mean, Natsakimura has been coming um, to to Identiverse for a long time. He's uh, you know obviously tied in with ID Pro a little bit as well, and there are several other folks out there 
um, I'm sure we can find a way. Yeah, that would be cool. I think, uh, I am all in, in favor of traveling. I've never been to Tokyo proper. I've only seen it on a bus on my way from, uh, let's see, it would have been the Hanada airport and Takeda maybe, I think. So, um, that was an interesting travel story that I shared not too long ago on the show. So we'll go from there. Um, I was Googling as you were talking, Jim, to try and figure out what this is. Azumi, I think there's a few different translations of it, but fountain and spring. Yeah. Yeah. They do have a fountain in the lobby, like a little like goldfish pond with a, like a, a fountain in the middle. That's, that's neat to know. I'll show that off next time I go. In fact, maybe I'll go today. Just, just for the show. <laughs> I don't, you know, I like sushi. I like s- some sushi, I should say, but a sushi buffet makes me a little bit anxious. I would hope, and I'm sure they do. I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, degrade anything that you're saying, but I hope it's on ice. I hope it's cool. It's maintained. It's fresh. Right. Right. All that good stuff. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, you hope so about every restaurant, right? <laughs> this is absolutely true. <laughs> I think if you eat cooked fast food, you're probably taking a little bit more risk than with sushi, where, I mean, the focus is on cleanliness and health. But should be. You certainly, it should be, right. It, it absolutely should be. Um, so my answer on this question of best restaurant uh, in the town I live in is very similar to Andy's. I'm a very small place. I think there's maybe a couple thousand people who live here. Uh, we live on sort of close to a river in Northwest Chicago area, almost, almost Wisconsin. There are only three restaurants total uh, in this place. I've lived here for 12 years. I'll be leaving soon. I've only eaten at one of them and I've only eaten them at it twice, I think in 12 years. <laughs> so the place is, um, it's, it's kind of a, like a, bo- uh, like a biker slash boater bar slash restaurants called the broken Oar. Um, it's located right on the Fox river. So you can actually pull up in your boat and get off and have a, uh, you know, a beverage or grab a bite to eat. Um, it's very big with bikers. So they like to come through on the weekends and it's another spot kind of a, kind of a, kind of do it all your space. It's a very cool concept and idea. Um, I don't eat there enough, even though it is, you know, maybe a 10 minute walk from my house. <laughs> so it's super easy to get to. Um, but. I, I, I'm going to give it the points for the, for the creativity of having this biker slash boulder bar and it's very popular in our area. So when I say, oh, I live over by the broken ore, everybody knows <laughs> where that is. So, uh, kudos to them, I guess. So Jeff, do you, do you have a boat? I mean, you're right there by the river. No, I don't have a boat. I don't have a bike. Um, I have my vehicle, which I won't mention the name cause I know Jim that you'll get me off on a on a, on a tangent here, uh, but no, I'm not a biker or a boater. Well, I know boating is also very popular in North Carolina. I lived in North Carolina and had a boat, but someone reminded me and they were right, which is the only thing better than having a boat is having friends who have a boat. Yeah. You get all the benefits of it without actually having to pay for it. Typically, um, at least not directly. I think if you're taking advantage of someone's boat, you know, bring the beer, Bring, bring lunch, you know, do by something gas, a little by the gas, by the gas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until we have electric boats, I guess. And then, uh, figure that one out. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, any final thoughts before we kind of wrap up, uh, Andy, the floor is yours. 
you know, what should people take away from this conversation and people you want to, you know, talk about either Identiverse or ID Pro or maybe both? Uh, what's some of the key things here? You know, I think, um, so two things. Firstly, thank you ever so much for having me, uh, on as a guest. I've really enjoyed it. I have to say it's been, uh, it's been a delightful experience, uh, and hopefully we get to do it again sometime. Um, I think, you know, I, what I, I, the, the, the big thing for me is broader than just what we're doing at Identiverse. And I'm super excited about the fact that we're back in person. I'm super excited about the relationship with CRA and what we can do going forward. Uh, it's broader than just ID Pro, and I'm excited about all of the things that we're doing there. The big thing for me, I think, is, and, and you alluded to this earlier on, Jeff, right? The industry is, and has been for years, developing, growing, changing, but now more than ever, I think, very, very rapidly. There's lots of new stuff happening. The industry is getting broader. Um, there are bigger problems for us to solve, more interesting problems for us to solve. Um, the fact that, that that is all happening is hard. It's a challenge. It's all of those things, right? In fact, uh, it's funny. I made a note earlier on. One of the things that ID Pro have done over the last few years is a skills and diversity survey to get a sense of, you know, what does is, what is the profession look like? And I, I always am entertained uh, by a question we ask about how long did it take you to feel proficient in the field of identity? And uh, the thing that always amuses me, but that I also find very interesting about the answers to that question is the number of people who say, I, I think that the longest period of time we give in the answers is 15 plus years. And then there's an option of, I still don't feel proficient. And that is true, right? There are lots of us that have been in and around this space for a long time who look at it and go, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And there are places where I just fall off a cliff of knowledge. There are still conversations I get into and I think, I know this, I can handle this. This is fun. Wait, what? And somebody throws in a protocol or a deployment or a, you know, a, a use case. And I'm like, I have literally no idea where to go with that. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely black and white. There's no gray in the middle. It's like, no, no clue. I'm lost. Um, and so I think that's a, like I say, it's a huge challenge. It's daunting. It's all of those things, but it's actually a lot of fun as well. And it's a really useful thing for the folks who are new in the industry to know is even those of us that have been playing this game for a while still feel like we're newbies. Uh, and I think that's probably quite reassuring if you actually are one. So that's, that's, I'm going to end with that. I think. I'm glad you brought that question up because I, I love that question every year that I've been filling it out. Uh, the, how long has it, how long has it taken to feel proficient? And I feel like I'm one of those people who answers, I don't ever think I feel like I know what I'm doing because there's always something new and no one knows everything. I will give a shameless plug here for ID pro before I go to you, Jim, because this is a real world example that I actually used. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, I was looking for help in understanding and kind of coming up with ways to help an organization understand why ADFS was not necessarily the future of authentication and that they should be looking for more modern authentication. I posted this into the Slack uh, group that ID Pro has, which is amazing and is by itself worth the price of admission. And within the course of an hour, had like three or four different resp responses, and I mean just like responses, well thought out, super helpful, and 
just chock full of information that kind of helped me. Okay. These are some other ideas that I hadn't thought of. And I took that back to my real world job <laughs> and, and use that. So that, that total, just the community around ID pro and that Slack channel is, is well worth it. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw that plug out there for that. Uh, Jim, how about yourself? Uh, any final thoughts for this week? That's a great, great, uh, plug. I also want to thank Andy for coming on the show. Um, his idea about coming back, I've already got the, the discussion topic. So it's Andy's used the term many times, digital identity. The practice I, in my company that I work in is digital identity. And I wonder what happened to I am <laughs> it's like, you know, I obviously I am practitioners. There's nothing wrong with the term. Right. But it's, what's the, is there a difference? What's I am what's IGA? What's digital identity? Are they different or are they all just diff different names for the same thing? So I think we could have a pretty good discussion about that. Yeah, I would love to do that. I think the definition of IAM would be an interesting topic and see how we would each define it. So Andy, I think we'll probably reach out at some point and try to get something on the books, maybe do a, maybe a couple other people, even like a panel type thing, because I think that yeah. would be super interesting. Uh, I'm impressed, Jim. You're, it's Memorial Day. You're waxing, uh, you know, poetic and philosophical here around identity. Uh, you're definitely a man of very cultured taste. Well, I was glad that with the, um, I, I think you made a wise decision, right? So my suggestion for ending on a lighter note is what's your favorite war movie? And we didn't, we didn't end on that quote unquote lighter note. That's not really a lighter note. Not it, it's Saving Private Ryan, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably mine too. Oh, actually, no, Starship Troopers. I'm going to go with that just because I want to be different. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, did, did none of the Star Wars canon count in, in the answer to that question? I mean, I'm thinking they should, right? <laughs> yeah, you never said realists. That's why like Starship Troopers, go. Star Wars would be great. Um, sure. Lord of the Rings count. I don't know. I mean, we could certainly go all over the place with it. All right, now we're getting crazy and we've gone longer than we than we normally do. Um, Andy, thank you so much for being uh, a part of this. Uh, we definitely look forward to having you back on the show. Um, for folks who want to uh, get in touch with Andy, he's on LinkedIn. I'll have a link uh, to his uh, profile in our show notes so people can uh, can reach out. Um, same thing for Jim and I. We'll have links there as well for that, uh, for both of us on LinkedIn, but also Identiverse, ID Pro. Um, again, I'll be at RSA this week when you're listening to this, June 6, uh, 2022. If you want to meet up and do a fist bump or leg shake or some sort of negotiated greeting, we can do that as well. Just hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, our, our, our live stream will be coming back at some point in the future. We're still figuring things out from a, from a, uh, personal availability standpoint. Oh, you can check out our YouTube channel, IDAC.live for that. Our website, IDACpodcast.com on Twitter at IDAC podcasts and all the shameless plugs out there. We'll go ahead and leave her for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.